Welcome to a special presentation of Behind the Page, where we at Marvel vs. Marvel revisit the comic book histories of some of your favourite Marvel characters. If you're joining us for the first time, each and every episode of MVM is packed with this kind of history and trivia as we explore the Marvel movies and the comic books that inspired them. any further it is really important that we take a look behind the page of 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 superman take a trip uh into the history of this character from conception and creation to where this movie uh begins in 1978 not going to talk about anything beyond that because that doesn't fit fitting for this movie um for this episode i guess because it's looking at what influenced the, the filmmakers and what the audiences knew and had in 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 the public realm before they saw the film and what this film did to change things. I mean, Superman is the first the first superhero. Will I don't know. We do you have any? Do you does that resonate with you? Did you uh, like kind of know that before? Is he the fir- like the foremost? Is he the superhero to you, well, or is he another superhero? I, I think he's the archetypical superhero. He's the prototype of which all superheroes are based on, in my 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 opinion. And that's yeah. I, yeah. I, I guess because for some people it was like the for a lot of people of our generation it was perhaps the first thing you saw. It was. Um, it was. Yeah. 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 I mean, comics have been in existence since. Well, we can listen. Maybe one day I'll sit down and talk you through Scott McCloud's uh, <laughs> history of comic books. Um, but but. In some form, as a as a comic strip, I guess mm. they, they've been around since the nineteenth century, um, the end of the nineteenth century. Ooh, um, hello. But but it was kind of after the depression that the, that the popularity of um, newspaper cartoons expanded into a major industry. The newspaper strips that came, you know, the comic strips came in newspapers. Dick Tracy became perhaps the first. Heroic adventure comic strip, mm. but there's an awful lot of uh, they're called the funnies, you know, f- you know, a funny husband and wife, a funny two funny little kids, peanuts, um, or you've got humanized animals, you know, those kind of things, Mickey Mouse and all yeah, of that. Yeah. Dick Tracy is probably along the lines of the first kind of heroic, dr- dramatic adventure. Comic strip. It's about a hard-boiled detective, um, and it started to the form started to slowly evolve from a strip in a newspaper into comic panels that formed a series of pages and could be collected in a book. Nineteen thirty-three, we we get um, a character called Detective Dan, a Dick Tracy-esque <laughs> character, um, largely creates the basic format of how. A heroic adventure comic book would would be, um, it, so it's it's right on. We 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 split up 
um, the ages of comic books, the superhero age of the comic books, by the Golden Age being kind of the first Silver Age, Bronze Age going forward. And they demarc various different periods in, in superhero history and time. We like the, the Golden Age starts very definitively with the first issue of of the first issue of Action Comics, the first Superman appearance. Yes, yes, you know, yeah. he is the start of all of this. Absolutely, um, he, he's the brainchild. Superman is a brainchild of, of of writer Jerry Siegel and artist Joe Shuster. Twenty years old um, when the character is published. Um, wow, they're both from immigrant Jewish families that settled in, in Cleveland. Um, in Ohio, um, and we've got some uh, great interview quotes. Uh, Siegel spoke about the the inception, the creation. And the, Joe and I were high school classmates in Cleveland. Like me, he was a science fiction fan. Together, we published a fanzine. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> that's a fan made magazine that you yeah. write and and draw and create yourself. You, in my day, you'd photocopy it. I don't know how they did it. In the 1930s, I cannot think that be. I can't think um, how they would create it, but they created a, a fanzine called Science Fiction. Um, uh, Joe was art director, and myself as editor. Um, and then in, in January of 19, in the January 1933 issue of Science Fiction mag- fanzine, Siegel and Schuster print a, a a a story called The Reign of Superman. So it's text um, with illustrations by Shushter. And in this tale, the Superman is a character that becomes a villain after being granted superpowers by a mad scientist character. Oh, wow. So they have that name, and they have the idea of powers, um, and they have that in, in, in 1933. Later on, when uh, they see this Detective Dan comic book one of the first comic books ever and that it's a um, adventure series and that it features a hero as the protagonist uh, Siegel says it occurred to me that a Superman who was a hero might actually make a great comic book character not a villain <laughs> <laughs> um, and then they, they together they wrote and created um, a series of strips comic book strips The Superman um, it was rejected by their publishers, um, and it kind of really uh, knocked them for six. They destroyed all the original arts. Ah, damn! Um, and um, over the next three or four years, every that every publisher they went to, every syndicator of of, of newspapers that would would commission a, a comic book strip rejected this concept of Superman, rejected their idea. Um, until eventually uh, Harry Donnerfield and Jack Leibowitz, who were working and part of Detective Comics Incorporated, what we would now know as DC Comics, they got their hands on it. Um, Leibowitz uh, and his colleagues were really, really impressed with the, the, the strips that they were seen. And they asked Siegel and Schuster to develop... The, the strips they'd done into 13 pages, full pages, of comic book action for the very first edition of Action Comics. Harry Donnerfield, who showed the, 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 the original strips to his editor, uh, and Vince Sullivan bought the, bought the, the, the mm. concept and said, 
um, basically was just so excited. It looks different. It's good. There's loads of action. This is exactly what kids want to buy. Um, and so whilst they were hoping, Siegel and Schuster were hoping to be owner creators of a strip that a newspaper paid a fee to, to syndicate it, they actually had to, because of all these rejections, they had to settle for, that's not going to happen. We now need to sell the idea and the character to the publisher, to Detective Comics. What they're essentially doing is giving up ownership and control. That was just how it worked at the time. If it had been a strip published in a newspaper, they would have probably, very probably, retained ownership and control. They were paid $130 for their work, $10 per page, which is equivalent to uh, $2,300, $2,400 in today's money. Mm. Um, in, in early March of the same year, they signed a contract in which they gave away their entire copyright to Superman, Ooh. to Detective Comics. Completely normal practice at the time yeah. and in the business. Um, they'd done it for all their previous things that they'd sold. Um, the idea of retaining copyright was just not possible. Um, in order to meet the, the deadline for Action Comics number one, um, they had to cut, paste, and redraw the the, the strips they'd done, which were, you, if you've ever seen a, 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 news, a comic book strip in a newspaper, you know it's like four or five panels, hmm. and that's it. They had to re re cut and paste it and build it into a full page and redraw loads of stuff. Um, one of the um, interior panels, sorry, one of the drawings in the in the comic book features Superman. Basically, he's picked a car up and he's crashing it into the ground as people run away, fleeing in kind of yeah. panic and terror. And that was such a striking image. Again, try and remember. There is no such thing as a superhero. Someone with super strength kind of doesn't exist, right? Mm. In terms of a comic book or a comic strip. And certainly not one in a costume. Certainly not one tall with a cape, with an emblem. You know, when he's picking a car... I mean, the last time you would have seen it would have been, or heard about it, would have been a myth and legend story of Hercules or whatever. Yeah. And now it's 1930. He's in this industrial kind of setting urban setting he's picking a car up and he's smashing it and people are running away um that like the, harry donafield said nobody will believe this picture we put this on the front cover <laughs> and 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 we're gonna sell like we're gonna sell you know millions of them like no one will this is just such an a, a, it is so beyond striking it's unreal it's really hard to try and convey that to get yourself into a place i, I certainly I, like like will said mm. superman has always just been there yeah, I, trying I'm, trying to, to, I'm trying to get myself into that headspace of seeing that for the first time without seeing anything else like it. And also, let's not forget that so much of what was consumed was black and white. Mm. Television was black and white. Movies were black and white. It was rare to get a newspaper strip that wasn't just black and white. There were there were full-colour you know, comic strips, and there were now starting to be full-colour comic books. So imagine one of the first comic books you ever see 
is this full colour picture when everything else you see in media and entertainment is black and white. And it's this gaudily coloured, brightly coloured dude picking a car up and smashing it. Um, Action Comics number one causes a a, a, a really huge stir. There's mm. there's nothing else like it. It it, it is a full colour explosion, you know, into the drab world of the Great Depression. The concept catches on immediately. Um, there's a suddenly there's, there's you know a fan club springs up pretty soon. I mean, there's no chance they're going to let Superman. Uh, go away into obscurity he becomes the lead thing in action comics they more and more every issue they every issue every month they want more and more superman um a whole team goes to work on uh, including schuster and siegel to create more uh, not far long by by 41 he's the star of action comics he's got his own second comic called superman yeah he's the star of world's finest comic um, and he was popping up in another publication called All Star Comics as well, um, and he's also everywhere else. He's selling stamps, greeting cards, coloring books, bubble gum, war bonds. Because of course it's nineteen forty now, forty forty one. He's they 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 take parts of the strip and then syndicate it, you know, in every major newspaper. I'm going to refer several times in this episode to a book called um, Super God, written by Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison is an incredibly, an incredible visionary comic book writer, um, a brilliant Scottish author who has written some of the absolute best Superman stories of the modern age, and maybe of any age. And he wrote this book, Super God, which is all about kind of the history of superheroes and them as a myth. And he has done exceptional work in in contextualizing and trying to put you in the place of what Superman meant to people at the time. Mm. Superman made his position plain in his appearances. He was a hero of the people. The original Superman was a bold humanist response to Depression-era fears of runaway scientific advance and soulless industrialism. We would see this early incarnation wrestling giant trains to a standstill, overturning tanks or bench-pressing construction cranes. Superman rewrote folk hero John Henry's brave, futile battle with a steam hammer to have a happy ending. He made explicit the fantasies of power and agency that kept the little fellow trudging along toward another sunset fade-out. He was Charlie Chaplin's tramp character, with the same burning hatred of injustice and bullies, but instead of guile and charm, Superman had the strength of gift men. Sorry, had the strength of ten men, and nothing could hurt him. In the dystopian nightmare visions of the age for Sora, a dehumanized, mechanized world, Superman offered another possibility. An image of a fiercely human tomorrow that delivered the spectacle of triumphant individualism exercising its sovereignty over the implacable forces of industrial oppression. It's no surprise that Superman was a big hit with the oppressed. He was as resolutely lowbrow, as pro-poor as any saviour born in a pigsty. In Superman, 
some of the loftiest aspirations of our species came hurtling down from an imagination's bright heaven to collide with the lowest form of entertainment. And from their union, something powerful and resonant was born. He was brave. He was clever. He never gave up and he never let anyone down. He stood up for the weak and knew how to see off bullies of all kinds. He couldn't be hurt or be killed by the bad guys, hard as they might try. He didn't get sick. He was fiercely loyal to his friends and to his adopted world. He was Apollo, the sun god, the unbeatable supreme self, the personal greatness of which we all know we're capable. He was the righteous inner authority and lover of justice that blazed behind the starched shirt of hierarchical conformity. In other words, Superman was the rebirth of our oldest idea. He was a god. And it, wow, it, it's almost immediate <laughs> mythology. Superman, yeah. he in 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 the way that Morrison says, he speaks to all of us in our in our kind of for our greatest aspirations, and all of us who are downtrodden, and and it connected incredibly. You know, nineteen forty, we get the the uh, Superman radio series is on is on the radio. It lasts for over a decade. Wow. Hugely popular, hugely successful, and it's syndicated and broadcast all over America. Um, Paramount Pictures commission uh, the, the 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 legendary Fleischer Studios to create the first physical image of Superman. Yes. The, the the animated shorts, which is what we're in a loads of we're in theaters all over America, nationwide in America. The Fleischer Studio shorts, hugely expensive, you know. The equivalent of, of nearly a million pounds to today's money per episode. Yeah, I, hugely popular. I actually caught some of those. I remember staying out once, uh, watching cable, and one of them popped on, and I was mesmerised. Even though it, you, you know the same way old fashioned cartoons are quite mesmerising to watch, uh, it, it was incredible. And I watched the, another the, one recently. Incredible stuff. They they are, and and what is wonderful about them is that they've lapsed into public domain to a certain extent. Yeah. So they're really cheap to get hold of. I don't know if it's been caught out. I've got a box set of them, and 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 they are gorgeous. They are. You have to have an affinity for kind of older style of of um. You know, you have to know you're watching an old thing from the forties, but. They are utterly gorgeous. The the that roto style mm. are, are, has come back into fashion, so they actually kind of seem a bit new again. Um, Was it a, a massive influence on the Batman animated series? Because I wouldn't be, I, I I I can't imagine it not being because there's it, so many similarities in art style. If, if, I, I would imagine Batman. so, because to a certain extent, they're kind of aping Fritz Lang's Metropolis. Yes, yeah. Um, and and the Batman series is also aping the cars, the buildings, and the fashion of the thirties and the forties. Mm. So uh, Fleischer's animation, which is born of that era, is going to have that feel to it. The tones, the darkness, the shadows. Yeah, um, nineteen fifty two to nineteen fifty eight, the uh, Adventures of Superman TV series starring George Reeves is. A prime time, not prime time, but it was prime. Yeah, it's a, it is, it is basically just the biggest. Like everyone in the family gathers around to watch the Adventures of Superman. It's a massive hit, and and it's repeated in syndication so often, so frequently that the Adventures of Superman, even though it only lasted, you know, uh, six years. It introduces generations to the character and to the stories. And then, of course, you get the Hanna-Barbera cartoons and 
on and on it goes. Um, but it is worth us having a little, taking a little time to approach something that we've never had to do here on Marvel versus Marvel before. We've talked will about um, uh, retcons in Marvel. Yeah, and they're kind of generally minor things, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, because time keeps marching on. Captain America didn't come out of hibernation in the 1960s. It was five years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. That war that Reed Richards and Tony Stark fought in, it can't be the Korean War or the Second World War. <laughs> it has to be the Vietnam War. It can't be the Vietnam War. It has to be the Afghanistan War. It has to be the... It's different with Superman hmm. because they're inventing everything. Yeah. Um, the The... The, the the first the first iteration of Superman we see in the nineteen forties um, doesn't have the same power levels you'd come to expect. Yeah, I hear, I've heard about this, um, and he's like Grant Morrison said, he's the enemy of he's the, almost the enemy of cap not capitalism, but he's the enemy of war of wars of of munition of you know people that make weapons and bombs and um he's the enemy of 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 corrupt politicians and he doesn't really have any soup there are no supervillains there are mad scientists yes. we see that in the max fleischer cartoons he's really battling just lots of mad scientists giant robots built by mad scientists a death ray built by a mad scientist Around 1940, 1948 to 1958 is kind of like this weird, um, I guess it, maybe it's still part of the Golden Age, but I'm not sure. It's this kind of 10-year gap. Um, it, it kind of falls between the Golden Age of superheroes and the Silver Age. Hmm. And, and it lays massively the groundwork for the Silver Age, but it's not well thought of. Uh, Jim Steranko, we talked about Jim Steranko as this incredible... Um, sports car driving escapologist top top shagger <laughs> and party animal who was like an incredible influence on Captain America and and Nick Fury. Mm. He he wrote an incredible book called the the history of comics and he very strongly dismisses this period of time in Superman's particularly in Superman's life as a period where increasingly silly stories turn up. Yeah, um, okay. and they're very they're very. There's no dramatic intent behind them. Um, and, okay. Rem imagine writing the first superhero yeah. ever. Okay. And there's no, no concept of an ongoing story. Ah, okay. And there's no concept of continuity. So no weekly serials. They come out every month, like comics do now, mm -hmm. but it's an adventure that starts on page one, ends at the last page, resets the status quo, mm -hmm. like a sitcom. Yeah. Well, like a lot of sitcoms. And then has no bearing on the next issue. And the next issue has holds holds nothing from the issue that you've just read <laughs> to be to be true, right? Okay. There's not an ongoing story. At all, the 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 artists and writers working in it, not all of the time, knew what had gone on before. Right there we go. Some would just introduce a brand new power, <laughs> and it's never mentioned again. 
there lacks that kind of legacy of Superman. There lacks that. There's no shared universe. There's no yeah, DC universe. Yeah. There's no. Oh, Lois, last uh, you know, last month you told me we'd go on a date. There's none of that. There's no. There's no story. There's no arc. There's no character arc. There's no story arc. There's no. Multi, there's no two parters. Nothing lasts. Villains die, and at the end, Superman will probably say. I'm sure we'll see him again because <laughs> they probably will, but the guy doesn't know. Um, it's also a period of time where, where tons of science fiction gets gets introduced. Yeah, um, fifty-eight to sorry, forty-eight to fifty-eight. We start to see aliens for the first time in Superman, outside of Superman. Of course, you did in the fifties. Yeah, um, kryptonite is is discovered. Ah, um, there we go, and a new. This will sound weird, but from the start to 1948, that first decade, Krypton is barely mentioned. Okay. Right? Yep, yep, yep. It, it's just, in that first bit where you introduce who Superman is, he was rocketed from Krypton, and then you bang, here we are in Metropolis. There's no, it holds no kind of, like, weight to the character. Mm. Um but here in this period of time, it becomes this recurring motif, um, 48 to 58. It's this kind of the legacy of Krypton. It suddenly starts to become, um, there's like an emotional, there's, there's a, it's, 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 it's for the first time it's presented as a tragedy rather than just a backstory for one panel that we never talk about. It's suddenly Superman has lost his home. He's lost his heritage. He's sad. He doesn't know where he comes from. And and then we start to get things like Kryptonite. There's a legacy of Krypton coming back to haunt him. There's some evil villains from 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 Krypton uh, turn up. Some some aliens, uh, but not the ones you think. Um, and then fifty nine, fifty nine to nineteen seventy is what we generally call the Silver Age. There we go. Um, and it's of course within this time frame that DC that Marvel Comics will first emerge for the for the first time. But this is. A hugely important period of time for the character we know in this movie, and for the character of Superman ongoing. Um, at some point, Siegel and Schuster have left DC. I think, in fact, during the last period of time, Siegel and Schuster have left DC and have nothing more to do with Superman during those ten years. And there's a redistribution of of, of editorial power at DC Comics, and uh, more Weisinger basically gains sole kind of editorial control over Superman. Mm. And this was a brilliant, great thing for the character because this allowed tighter control of the stories, control over the writers and artists, and this, thanks to Mort Weisinger, resulted in the development for the very first time of a continuity within comic books. This is the first this is the first time stories will impact each other rather than be a one-off. Wow. This is the first time there is like that that there is not necessarily an arc. Yeah. But that I put you in prison. <laughs> How did you you know that kind of thing? You you and 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 thanks to Mort Weisinger we get the development of the kind of the 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 the, the legend of Superman begins. Mm. Um instead of Continuity th- stories being dis- ignored and discarded. If one story creates a new aspect of life on Krypton, 
it would be upheld by future stories because there is an editor in charge who cares about that. Yeah. And the legend of Superman grows. We know we we start to see more about Krypton. We start to see a lot more about his life uh, in Smallville. Mm. So we see his past, yep. and then we see what he's doing in the in Metropolis now. And then we also learn about his future because this 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 thing called the Legion of Superheroes become involved. They're time travelers from the future, and they keep turning <laughs> up, talking about sup- what Superman will do in the future. And we start to learn that. Superman will endure for hundreds and hundreds of years. He's not going to die. So there is almost... I mean, how much more mythic can you get that, that, that it becomes this unending story almost? And the past, Krypton, Smallville, become just as important as the present, if not perhaps more interesting and, and more important, certainly Krypton. Mm. Um, we, we get more survivors of Krypton keep turning up as well and, yeah. and, and things of that nature um jerry siegel re- returns to become a very um influential kind of force along with mort weisinger and and um and they really start to the characters in the previous kind of two decades lois and perry white and jimmy olsen and those guys had been two-dimensional yeah, they'd been. They hadn't been any any kind of. There'd been no real kind of backstory or or kind of like a emotional weight to them or whatever. And and and, and thanks to uh, Mort Weisinger, Jerry Siegel, and 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 you know some other guys, Ed Hamilton and, and and Otto Binder, we get we get them fleshed out. Lex Luthor gets fleshed out as well massively, and becomes a much more interesting character. Silver Age is the period of time when Lex Luthor becomes a Lex Luthor that that will endure. Whereas previously he'd just been another mad scientist. Yeah, yeah. Um, and these, uh, this kind of dead attention to detail, che- uh, it involves the fans hmm. almost more than anything else. So with this new, with with this period of time, uh, nineteen sixty, they they. Oh, around mm, around this period of time, I don't know exactly when they introduced letters pages. Okay. In the back of the comic. I always assumed they were always there. Nope. Wow. Fans write in, the letters get published, and the editors answer them. And fans are writing in, asking questions like, what happens to Clark Kent's clothes when he turns into Superman? And how how do his powers work? How how can he fly when he never used to be able to fly? And so, w- what it mandated, what what it was showing to the to the to the publishers, the DC, was that the fans care about this stuff. They don't want it to be. It doesn't matter. Just enjoy it. Mm. They don't want there to be no answer. This is the fans of comic books showing for the first time. This we actually care about continuity we care about the how we want it to be we're not saying we want it to be gritty and real we want to understand though it's not it's not just that it doesn't matter we want an answer and so for the first time 1960 we get this notion that superman actually derives his powers from a yellow sun Mm, yeah different to where he was born um, and that it's a that Earth has less gravity than Krypton. I mean, that was an idea that was in the public consciousness due to the moon landings. We all knew what was going to happen on the moon. Um, 
and 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 what was what what you know the the less gravity made these big leaps possible on the moon so that was in the public consciousness so there began this process of okay let's at least understand ourselves as the editorial team and the writers how does this happen why does this happen what happens to Clark Kent's clothes and then we'll start to explain it in in stories and 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 talk about it because we're being shown that's what that's what people care about and the last period of time for us to talk about is just this very brief period of time you know in in the 1970s of course our movie is 1978 the silver age ends around 1971 1972 and then the bronze age um starts starts up and the bronze age is you know 1970 mort weisinger uh, retires and and leaves leaves DC and Superman, and control over Superman the Man of Steel kind of uh, goes to an, a, another legendary DC editor called uh, Julius Schwartz, um, and we start to get a reigning in of these insane powers <laughs> that have been there in the Silver Age. Um, Nineteen seventy one, Denny O'Neill, who was a legend. I mean, a, a Batman comics mm. legend, but a, but he would go on to be. But here he is writing for for Superman. He begins an eight part adventure called the the Sandman Saga, that changes Superman for well, hopefully for the better. Mm. By the end of it, Superman's powers have been reduced by a third, um, and a lot of the kind of more of the outlandish stuff has been stripped away. Any any um, examples of the more outlandish stuff, by the way. We'll get to it, baby. Oh, we'll thank it. God for that. Um, now, this reduction in power doesn't always last, but it, it, the attempt is there. Um, and the big thing that happens in the Bronze Age, with the end of the Silver Age, is that although Superman has interacted with the Justice Society um, and Batman, in the Bronze Age, the 1970s, we start to get Superman... Um, it's not just the continuity of Superman that's important to Julius Schwartz. It's the continuity of the rest of the DC universe. Mm. And we start to see Superman emerge into this wider world that's kind of sprung up around him while he's been very Silver Age focused on Metropolis and Superman and, and Supergirl and all my friends. And so it's it's how does Superman fit in with this kind of new, kind of more modern and kind of more sophisticated DC universe? Like, what's his relationship to the Green Lanterns, yeah. for example? If he's always out in space, he must have encountered them, right? And for that matter, how come the Green Lanterns didn't save Krypton? Um, and, you know, if Superman's really fast and the Flash is really fast, well, who's faster? <laughs> and he emerges not just into... You know the, the 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 he has a, he starts to take on this much larger role in the actual universe, the spacefaring cosmic universe of DC. He is acknowledged and recognized by all the worlds as this great hero. He does as much for the for outer space as he does for Earth. He's he is the most powerful hero in the galaxy. And he's constantly in in need, um, and so he has a lot of adventures with other races and planets and then also within the dc you know within the dc continuity we see in the in this bronze age him interacting more and more with other heroes and the continuity becomes a lot more um tight knit um and in fact at this period of time we we start to discover that the golden age superman that we talked about 
is no longer actually part of our continuity anymore. Mm. That character that that you know we first see in the nineteen thirties is no longer part of the continuity. Will he's okay. gone? So it's completely changed. They create something called Earth One and Earth Two. <laughs> of course they do. And they take all their older characters and they say they happened on Earth One, another Earth. That's right. where original Superman lives, original Batman, original Flash. And actually, Silver Age kind of slash Bronze Age Superman has always been. And we've changed some aspects of his history, but that's on we've got a new continuity and we've jettisoned all the old <laughs> stuff from the thirties and forties into this other world and we'll have crossovers. You know, something that we've never ever seen before, because Marvel have never done it. So never before have we've seen in in Marvel versus Marvel the alterate and the jettisoning of continuity. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget, our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind-the-page, behind-the-scenes, and comic book Marvel history. 